0: You're listening to the Tri State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at Facebook.com forward slash Tri State Reformed Church. I'll invite you to turn to Matthew's Gospel. Just going to read a little bit of the context. Our text is a text that we all know very, very well, and it's a short text. I was thinking throughout the week, do I want to just take the last three petitions in one message, or do we want to focus on each one? I end up with seven pages of notes on the first one, so maybe we better take them one at a time. Um, And I think I better stick closely with the notes this morning, too, because I don't want to... I don't want to miss any of this this morning. There is so much here once you begin to take a look at our Lord's words here uh, closely. I'm going to start with verse 5 and I'll read through verse 11. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you pray, go into your room. Give us this day our daily bread. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this marvelous form that you have given us. And as we begin to study it, as we begin to uh, read these words, and we begin to study prayerfully the implication of each of these words, Father, we bow low before you. For, O Lord, just as Peter in the boat realized that he was with no mere man in the boat, and he, he cried out, depart from me, Lord, for that, uh, that sense of awe of you, O oh Lord, engulfed him in that moment. And Father, as we look at these words, may the sense of awe engulf us, for no mere human being could have uttered uh, this form to be so encompassing with so few words. O well, Father, instruct us in these things, O oh Lord, we pray. Teach us these things. May we drink from these things. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. Amen. And amen. Now, it goes without saying this morning, we, uh, we turn to the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. And as we do so, uh, one thing that immediately strikes us is God's fatherly kindness. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I mean, the prayer begins with our Father, doesn't it? Uh, But when we get to the last three petitions, we're immediately struck with fatherly kindness, fatherly mercy, uh, fatherly provision. Provision may be the most obvious thing that comes to our minds. And quickly, just as a matter of review, the first three petitions we've looked at, we see the first one is the sanctification of the Lord's name. What does that mean? Hallowed be thy name. It means that, We are praying for God to be glorified in our lives by what we do and in the lives of others and by what they do. So hallowed be thy name. We're praying for the glorification of uh, God's holy name. Thy kingdom come. We're praying for the kingdom of Christ to advance, not only in our hearts, uh, but in the hearts of others. May his kingdom come, if you will. Thy will be done, which we looked at last week. Uh, we're praying uh, not only for God's revealed will to be done in our hearts and lives, not only for uh, us to become more obedient to those revealed commandments, but we're also praying for God's secret will to be, uh, to be brought to bear. The will that we don't know. As we pray, Father, we don't know what the future holds for us. But thy will be Done. We're praying for both. We're praying for both. Now, as we turn to the next three petitions, um, we see that these uh, turn to our needs. If I might use a quick um, outline that was given uh, so many years ago in the late 50s, early 60s by Martin Lloyd Jones, he sums them this way. He says, The first, that would be the fourth command, the, the fourth petition. I don't want to confuse this, so I'll just call it the fourth. Uh, the fourth covers the body. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. Pertains to the body. The second, or this uh, fifth, concerns our need of cleansing. And the last, uh, which would be the sixth, if you will, uh, concerns sin and its power. We'll look at the, the fifth and sixth in their proper time. But with this brief outline, we see that the next three petitions take us uh, to the beautiful reality of God's fatherly mercy, uh, kindness, and provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, I, I, a couple of observations about this before we move on. I mean, these are, these are really familiar words, aren't they? Uh, and, and you've heard me say this before about some passages of Scripture that are really familiar like this. Sometimes we can be uh, blinded by the sheer familiarity of the words We've said them so many times that uh, they, they, they don't penetrate us any longer like they may have done the first time. And we may, in the first time, have been more concerned about simply memorizing them, maybe than taking in exactly what they mean. But each word in this sentence, give us this day our daily bread, is carrying a lot of freight. Uh, Each one of these words is carrying actually an amazing amount of freight. And I think you'll agree as we begin to study these, uh, we do find ourselves being a little bit like Peter in the boat. Wait a second. Uh, Just who is it that uttered these words? Well, we know the answer to that, don't we? He's the sovereign creator of the universe, dressed in flesh, who dwelt among us, who is uttering these words. And again, we're reminded of the plurality. Notice that it doesn't say, give me this day my daily bread. Lord, give me this day my daily bread. Of course, our own needs are are, uh, concerned here, aren't they? But it it says, give us this day our daily bread. So the petition concerns not just ourselves. It concerns our brothers and sisters in Christ. And again, this is pointing back to our Father, whereby... Uh, we call upon our heavenly Father, and and we see what we might call the familial nature of this, or the family nature. It's a it's it's very much um, it's a family prayer, isn't it? Our Father, think about it. Our Father, uh, who is the R? Well, His children. Yeah. Give to us who our our brothers and sisters, as well as myself. Give to us all. Uh, you know, give 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 to me and my brothers and sisters. My daily bread, it's a it's a family prayer where we all collectively look to our Lord and we pray for one another. Now, let's look at the rest of these words. Let's just begin by taking a look at the, the first word, give. Some of them say, no, what are you going to say about give? That's probably one of the first words we learn or at least one of the first concepts that we get down when we're children, isn't it? Give me. <laughs> give me, give me. We might not be able to say give me, but we understand, we understand the, the principle of I think we need to go back there for a moment because the child is helpless, isn't he, or she? What else can the child do? If you as parents don't give to your children, what will happen? They have no other recourse, if you will, And, you know, basically when we say give, we ask for that which is not yet ours, don't we? We're asking for that which is not yet ours. We're asking for that which has not yet been given to us. We're asking for some kind of want, if you will. Uh, Now, in Christ, we're heirs of all things. Romans Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Verse 17 says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. Okay, we're heirs of all things. Yet in this life, we're just stewards of these things, aren't we? You know, in a devotion I gave at the park um, uh, maybe a week ago, I was using the illustration of a businessman that I knew. And he's a businessman that I've known since I was, um, since I was very young. Um He was not super, we wouldn't call him super, super wealthy, but he was pretty well-to-do. And I remember trying to have a conversation with him about Christ. And as I started to talk to him about Christ, he interrupted me midstream, talked right over me, said, let's just worry about this life, and then we'll get on with the next one. Um, You know, um, (laughs) he passed away a couple years ago. And I can only hope that he got right with Christ before he passed away, but here's the scoop. Um, His houses are still here. Houses pool, you know, more than one. His houses are still here. Uh, His cars are still around. His family is driving Uh, them. I see them once in a while. Uh, I assume his money has been distributed amongst his family. Uh, He didn't take anything with him. Um, So... If we're in Christ, we are heirs of all things. Yet, in this life, we're just stewards. And it all belongs to the Lord. And here I want to point your attention to the word "our." Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now, what's interesting about this is the the Father gives to us what we may then, after he gives it to us, call ours. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. I mean, it's 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 a principle that's not that hard to grasp. We could make an illustration of the earthly father giving to his uh, children their own bedroom. When you think about your bedroom. You know, uh, some of us may share a bedroom with our siblings, but nevertheless, either way, you you what do you how do you refer to that bedroom? You refer to it as my bedroom. Uh, parents will refer to it. Um, I used to hear once in a while get to your room. That room in belonged to me. Uh, or it could be said, clean your room. Um, or I could say, I'm going to my room. And that's not wrong. That's correct. But the whole time, let's not forget that the Father... Is the one who ultimately owns the house, isn't it? Mother and father, uh, and that's that's the principle here. And someone said, "Well, Rick, that's really really obvious." Well, I know it's really really obvious, um, but it's going to be important here in a moment. So hold on to it. The second point I want to make here, the second thing we come to, is more of a phrase: "Our daily bread." Give to us this day our daily bread. Now, what is meant by our daily bread? Now, it should be said that this this might to us sound, well, that's really, really simple, too. I think everyone understands that. If you survey church history, you'll see that this has been blurred. Um, some of the early church fathers, actually, uh, because of the high state, if you will, of the three petitions that go before uh, the fourth petition, namely the sanctification of God's name, hallowed be thy name, uh, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Given the high state of those petitions, and let's, uh, let's not discount that. These, this is high, uh, this, this is high prayer right here. Um, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will, will be done. Given the high state of those first three petitions, many of the early church fathers couldn't conceive that what Jesus could be talking about next is the body. They just couldn't conceive that. And some of them, I mean, Tertullian, Cyprian, Augustine were some of those who wouldn't concede to that. And some of you have heard these names before. So what did they do? They allegorized it. Now, what's that mean? Well, that means they assigned these hidden spiritual meanings Uh, to uh, the bread. So the bread was not simply bread like we'd put on the table and enjoy. You would butter it and eat it, uh, break it up amongst the family and enjoy it. No, bread must mean something else. It can't mean something as mundane as something that we would eat for something as mundane as our bodies. It must refer to the hidden bread of God's Word. That must be the meaning. And that was the meaning they associated with it. And Jerome, who translated the scriptures into Latin, rendered our passage. I won't give you the Latin. It would be meaningless to us. Uh, But if we take the Latin and we translate it uh, word for word, it goes like this. Our bread, super substantial, give us today. Has anybody ever heard that before? Our bread, super substantial, give us this day. Now, what's Jerome doing with that? Instead of saying, if, if, if we would recognize our bread, give us today, we'd recognize that well enough, wouldn't we not? But you see, he's assigning a value to bread, super substantial. Sophia, what's super substantial? Break it down. There's two words there. Super, we know what super means. Um, you know, a man walks into a phone booth. He's just a man. He comes out. He is Superman, right? We got that. Um, that's easy concept to grasp. The substantial isn't too bad either. Substantial, super substantial, more substantial. And I think the way that they're meaning it, the way Jerome intended it, was it's transcending all substance, if you will. Transcending all substance. And here, what are they doing? They're spiritualizing it. This Again, this is, this is too high to be concerning our bodies or concerning, you know, a loaf of bread on the table. Well, um, actually, the obvious meaning is the plain meaning here, and, and bread means bread, doesn't it? Well, how can you be sure? Well, it's in the context. Three things important in studying Scripture, right? No, argument can be made this high prayer, These high petitions are in the context too. Uh, but let's not forget that Jesus is not just concerned about spiritual things. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's hard to get that out of our heads. We'll put Jesus over in this corner here and he's only worried about this spiritual stuff. He's not, you know, he's not worried about my needs over here. Oh no, no that, that, that's not biblical. Uh, that's not biblical. Notice verses 16 and 17. What's Jesus take up there? He says, "When you fast, Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and their fasting may be seen by others. Now, what is meant by fasting? If we take these early church fathers' position, well, then what are they fasting from? The Word of God? I don't know of any such um, precept that would ever tell us at any time to take a break from the Word of God. Has anybody ever heard such a thing? Fasting from God's word, or if we take it to be the hidden word of the Lord's supper? I mean, what, it, it it doesn't make that the, when you fast. No, what's it talking about? It's when you don't eat, and it hardly needs any commentary at all. When you when when you fast for a period of time, when you abstain from food, and then verse twenty-five, which we've looked at uh, quite a few times here, Jesus says, "Don't be anxious about what your life." What in regards to your life? What you will eat, what you'll drink, your body, what you'll put on. is life, not life more than food. You see, Jesus is very concerned about our, our bodies. And there is the mention of the body here. And what is obviously in view here is not simply just food on our table. But as it's been said time and time and time again, what's in view here is all of the necessities of life. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we are praying for all of the necessities of life. Food, drink, clothing, shelter, employment, life's necessities. D.A. Carson uh, warns us here, though, life's needs are in view, not life's greeds. Now, that's a short little pithy statement there that I think is easy for us to remember. Life's needs, not life's greeds. The key word here is necessity, is what we, what we view as necessities in 21st century America um, actually are embarrassing when you get around folks who have never known such abundance. Trust me on that. It's actually embarrassing. Um, we have a whole different concept of what ne- constitutes a necessity, and we can be rest assured that our, our idea of necessity is not the same as God's idea of necessity. So we're praying for life's necessities, right? Give us this day our daily bread. We're looking to our Father. We're not only praying for our own necessities, we're praying for the necessities of our brothers and sisters who are in Christ. And a word, another shot of warning needs to be uh, said. This does not negate our call to work for those things. It does in no way negate our call to work. To work, And in fact, the Apostle Paul gives us this strong word here. Very well-known passage, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not what? Eat. I can't remember reading that for the first time and giggling and laughing, thinking, well, there's some incentive to get to work. Um, you want to eat? Go to work. Now, with the application I'm going to make now, I mean, I don't want to be misunderstood. Um, I I don't think there's going to be any way I'm going to be misunderstood, but will I be taken out of context? Probably. That seems to be the way you do things today, right? You just say whatever you want about anybody you want and imply that they mean anything you want. You ever notice that? You can't avoid that. and the truth needs to be taught. Um, and I don't want to be misunderstood here. So before I go any further, let me—I've wrote this clarification down. Real, I've wrote it word for word, and I'm going to read it. Uh, I'm not saying, nor do I believe, poor people are lazy. I'm going to say it again. I am not saying, nor do I believe at all that poor people are lazy. In fact, I can introduce you to quite a few people who would be on the lower economic strata of society who are some of the hardest working people, I invite you to try to keep up with these folks. That's not going to be a small task. I can introduce you to people who haven't had a day off, a single day off in several years, who are in what we would call the lower strata or lower economic strata. Do I think they're lazy? My goodness. No, absolutely not. I believe it's the Lord who makes rich and it's the Lord who makes poor. And I also speak first for the church and only after that to the world. So, what am I going to say? You're getting all ready, aren't you? What am I going to say? What I'm going to say is it's morally wrong to sit and collect a check when you could be out working. I'll repeat it it is morally and unprincipled to sit at home and collect a check when we could be out working. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's unbiblical. We have a charge from the Lord to be productive. We have an admonition from the Apostle Paul, you don't work, you don't eat, given against idleness. Now let me qualify that. I'm not talking about folks that are on disability who can't work who otherwise would be working. I'm not of course not talking about that. I'm talking about able-bodied people uh who are just sitting and collecting a check that it's that there is a moral issue at stake here that it is morally cancerous to the society uh to sit and collect a check. Um it's it's morally wrong. Um you know, <laughs> Sitting around the house all day will cripple us spiritually, and it will destroy our work etiquette. It's just one of the things. I'm I'm not saying this stuff to be mean. I'm just saying this stuff because this is the effect it will have. Now I speak to the world, and this is not going to end well for our country. I mean, we're presently at a crisis here. I think all of you will agree where we're in a crisis. And I don't know that when is I'm not a... My area of expertise is not in American history, but I can't imagine there's ever been a time in the history of this country where people have been able to stay home and make more money than going to work. Um, I I just can't, uh, I just don't think it's, um, I just don't think we've ever seen it. We have to reject this uh, because morally, this is going to not end well for society. There's a word for this. There's a word for what's going on, and it's called opportunism. Is anybody familiar with the word opportunism? What's opportunism? I have a definition. I'm glad you asked. Opportunism is adopting one's actions to circumstances to further one's immediate self-interest with no regard to principle or consequences. I'll read it slower. Opportunism means adopting one's actions to circumstances to further one's immediate self-interest with no regard to principle or consequences. Now, usually when we're talking along these lines, we're talking about some politician somewhere. And here's part of the problem. You're carried along by your leadership. Is there opportunism going on in the political realm? Oh, it's nauseating. It's absolutely nauseating. I have seen it. It's nauseating. And it's everywhere. And it's only a matter of time before that Begins to trickle down, you know, there's, you know, a lot of times, I mean, over the years we've had uh, pastors, if you will, who've been in other denominations who've wanted to come and be part of our, our fellowship and our presbytery and, and, you know, upon interviewing them, it's just, it becomes really clear, even. Even when a pastor comes out of some of these liberal places, even if they might be very conservative in many of those places, when you sit down with them and you start interviewing them, you see that they've been carried along by that tide a lot further than what they realize. And my whole point is you're carried along by the leadership that's over you. You're, you're eventually going to be carried along. We have to reject this. I mean, we have to reject this because how is this going to end? What is this ultimately going to do to the etiquette of our country, the work etiquette of our country, which had a few... I'm going to be kind when I say it. had a few bumps and wrinkles in it before all this started happening. Uh, Where is it at now? Now, the fourth point that I want to make here builds on this. Praying for God's provision, give us this day our daily bread, does not negate our call to work. It acknowledges God's hand and provision in the fruits of that work. Let me share that with you again. The fourth point builds on the third. Praying for God's provision, give us this day our daily bread, does not negate our call to work. Okay, that's the last point I just made. It acknowledges God's hand and provision in the fruits of that work. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar is a great illustration here. In case you were wondering, what does King Nebuchadnezzar got to do with the fourth petition of the Lord's prayer? Uh, maybe you haven't thought about it at all yet, but now that I brought it up, um, if you turn to Daniel, you'll remember the dream we read it earlier in the service. It was a warning shot, and um, Daniel, it, it's 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 such a dismal. the dream is so dismal that Daniel doesn't really want to give it to the king. King, you know, may this not be so, may this be for your enemies, not you. And the king says, no, no, come on, lay it on me. And uh, he basically says, listen, you're, you're, you're this beautiful, gorgeous tree that everybody has made their dwelling in, but you're about to be chopped down. Uh, Be a good chair, but you're, you're going to be reinstated. But only after you acknowledge that it is the Lord who, um, is holy, who is uh, ruler over the kingdom of men. And in verse 28, uh, Daniel 4, verse 28, we're told that all of this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said... Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. now, we've studied enough of the Lord's Prayer to understand what's going on here. What is the king doing? He's on the roof. He's looking over at Babylon. Was on a worldly scale, Babylon was, uh, the history books tell us it was magnificent. It was unparalleled. And Nebuchadnezzar, make no mistake about it, on a worldly scale, was one of the most glorious kings who ever walked the face of the earth. This is on a worldly scale. And there he is in his glory and his pomp, and there he is admiring his kingdom. And what does he say? He says, hallowed be my name, doesn't he? Oh, look at this big kingdom that I have built by my majesty and my power. And what happens? He is rendered on all fours. I mean, it's almost—it's amazing. I mean, God has so much power and authority That in that instance, he takes the most powerful man on the planet and renders him almost into a beast where he's crawling around on all fours and we're told that his hair eventually grows where it looks like birds' feathers and then nails become like claws and he's eating grass in the field. Now, what has this all got to do with the Lord's prayer? Well, what King Nebuchadnezzar failed to see and failed to realize was God's Hand in his labors and establishing him where he was at. Uh, While the words were coming out of his mouth, the Lord looks, takes the kingdom away, demonstrating that the Lord is the one who establishes uh, the king's majesty. And here again, did did King Nebuchadnezzar just sit on the roof of his palace and wait for all this to happen? There's no way. He would have labored intensely, undoubtedly, planning, uh, strategizing, probably sleepless nights, traveling to all over the parts of the world, working day and night, probably many sleepless nights. But in the back of all that labor, nothing was going to happen unless the Lord was providentially working. Uh, In King Nebuchadnezzar to set him in that position. And that is what King Nebuchadnezzar is denying, isn't it? He's taking all of the credit for himself. And this is how we should see the food that is on our table. Did we get up in the morning and work for it? Yes. Have we worked hard for our food? Yes. But at the end of the day, what has been the fruits of our labor? Well, the fruits of our labor is what's sitting on our food. And make no no mistake, the Lord has put it there, whether it's macaroni and cheese or a steak dinner. And this leads to one more point, one more point, the idea of daily. Give us this day our daily bread. For most of us in our culture, getting our daily bread seems like it, really nothing more than opening the refrigerator door, isn't it? Um, is there a one of us who doesn't have enough um, food in your kitchen or cupboard or pantry to make lunch and supper today? I, I don't imagine there's one of us. In fact, for the most of us, we could probably, if we didn't make it to the store, we could probably be fine for how long? Few days, right? And given our grocery stores, I mean, if we wanted to, our grocery stores provide us with options where we could probably supply a house with food for many weeks, couldn't we? Um, Again, D.A. Carson points out that many in the first century were paid daily. To miss a few days' work could mean tragedy. This is the way it worked. I mean, some of you are aware of this. you, you wake up in the morning, you go off to work, you put in your day, um, and then on your way home, well, you get paid at the end of the day, and on your way home, you take that paycheck to the marketplace. You pick up food for your family, and you go home and eat. And then the next day, you wake up and do it again. Now, imagine um, the force of what Jesus is saying if that was the case with all of us this morning. And it takes on a new force, doesn't it? Because what would happen if we were laid up for three days? Okay, we didn't go to work, we didn't get paid, we didn't make it to the marketplace. That's okay, we have a little, uh, you, can, you can you can almost say, that's okay, Dad, we've got a little extra here, we'll miser it. Okay, that's fine for the next day. What about the day after that? What about the day after that? I think that the force of Jesus' statement is, is lost to us our abundance has eclipsed the force of this petition to the point that we give little thought to the blessing and our abundance should be filling us with thanksgiving but instead i'm afraid we take it for granted now that sounds like a guilt trip and i'm not meaning it to sound like a guilt trip uh, at all i want to develop a point out of this that i think is beautiful and the point is this is that because of our abundance, because we're not dependent on today's wages to buy today's food, because our homes are so furnished, we have lost the sense of God's invisible hands and in our provision. And because we have lost a sense of God's invisible hands in our provision, we are also losing, as a consequence of this, a sense of his adoptive love as our Father. You follow what I'm saying? Whereas if our cupboards are bare, uh, we have enough for today, Tomorrow is Monday. we got to all get off to work, and we'll get paid, and we'll have enough to go to the marketplace. We'll have enough to feed everyone. Then it's going to be gone. Think of the force of Jesus' statement on us. If that was the case, give us this day. Think of how we would pray. Oh, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And think about how we would thank him when he answered that prayer as we gave thanks for our food. If we're tempted not to give the Lord thanks before we eat, I think that's touching on what I'm trying to communicate is we're losing the sense, if you will, of God's invisible hands. And in losing the sense of God's invisible hand, of putting this food before us, of putting a roof over our heads, of putting clothes on our, on our backs, we're losing the sense of his adoptive love. And I think we ought to modify our petition here a little bit. Someone say, you're changing the word of God? No, it's a form. I'm not changing the word of God at all. I'm using the word of God. I think we could pray, Father, uh, we thank you for our daily provision. Father, we thank you for giving us our daily bread, for supplying us our daily bread. Lord, you have provided us uh, with a week's worth of daily bread. Or when we bring the groceries home and you stock up for a few days, Lord, we thank you for the provision that's here before us. How wonderfully you have furnished us. Now, O Father, we pray that we may see your invisible hand in providing this, that we may be renewed in a sense of your adoptive love, for you truly are our Father. Do you see what I'm doing with the prayer? This is how Jesus is teaching us to pray, not to mindlessly say, give us this day our daily bread. He's setting forth principles here that should form and inform our prayers. Does that make sense? So um, lastly, may this also shape and form a deep sense of belonging to the Father and his children. And that's page number seven. So we did it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we so thank you, Father, for the way that you have provided for us, the way that you continue to provide for us. And Father, uh, it's our, our abundance uh, Father, the danger that we have today is really our abundance. It has eclipsed, oh Father, our sense of the force of this, of this fourth petition. It has eclipsed the sense of this. Uh, to the degree, Father, that I, I fear that sometimes we miss that sense of your adoptive love, of adopting us as your children and taking care of us this way. You have so blessed You have so blessed your church, O Father. You have so blessed us here in these United States, and you have blessed those who are outside of your church in such great ways. O Father, we pray that you will help us, O Lord, to take stock of these things. Help us, O Lord, to apply this petition, O Father, to even apply it to the way that you have so abundantly blessed us, O Lord. And, Father, we thank you for these words in Jesus' name. Amen.